0: Welcome to What the Fuck Do You Do?, a show where we learn about various professions and what people actually do in their jobs. I'm your co-host, Trey Panda. And I'm your co-host, Travis Fox. And today, the job we'll be talking about is an astrophysicist. Our guest today is Serafina Nance, who is currently an astrophysics PhD candidate at UC Berkeley. She's also the host of the astronomy show, Constellations by Seeker, a series dedicated to exploring the most mind-blowing aspects of the universe and uncovering our cultural ties to the cosmos. She is the author of the forthcoming children's book, Little Leonardo's Fascinating World of Astronomy, coming August 2021, and just signed another publishing deal for Starstruck, a memoir and exploration of the wonders of the universe. Lastly, she has been selected as one of Forbes' 30 inspirational women and one of Arab America's 40 under 40. Needless to say, she is a very distinguished guest, and we're very excited to have her. Serafina, thanks for joining.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So to start off, how would you explain what an astrophysicist does?
1: Um, I would probably say that we use science to try to understand the universe.
2: I, I like. Should, that. should
1: I go into more detail? <laughs> I like that.
2: What, what does that actually mean on like a Monday morning when you wake up and you're like, I'm an astrophysicist and I have to be one today.
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny because I don't think I even knew what an astrophysicist did until I came to grad school. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I thought I was just going to look through telescopes and learn about the sky, but it turns out my job basically consists of coding, And sifting through data and trying to make pretty plots from that data and analyzing the plots and writing up papers about it.
0: When you say coding, what exactly are you coding? What are you building?
1: So the current code, let's see, what am I working on right now? Um, I am trying to basically, when I point a telescope at a target, let's say a galaxy, Um, and I look for the spot where the star was before it exploded. And I should rewind a little bit. I'm an astrophysicist who studies supernova, which are exploding stars. So that's what I'm looking at when I, you know, point my telescope at the sky. And the telescope is basically this huge light collector. And so the light leaves the object, travels through Space and ends up at my telescope, and I basically take the um, the photo that the telescope took of the object and break it down into you know pixels or whatever unit you want to use, and then I analyze the light in each pixel so I can um, basically plot the light over time to try to understand. Uh, sort of the trajectory of the object um, in terms of light before it exploded. Um, I can break up the light into its constituent wavelengths and try to analyze those wavelengths to tell me something about the star. Um, So we basically use a variety of tools and machines to uh, get our data. And then when I code, I write programs to help me analyze that data better.
0: Got it. Okay. So uh, let me take a step back. Why exploding star? Like what, what is the purpose of understanding how an exploding star like occurs and tracking all that data?
1: Yeah. Um, other than the fact that there are explosions in space, which is just awesome. Um, I like exploding stars because supernova are the birthplace of heavy elements in our universe. You know, the old adage, Carl Sagan said, we are star stuff Mm -hmm. and we are, I mean, every element aside from hydrogen and some helium in our bodies was, was formed in the innards of these stars. They also, um, basically trigger star formation. So they, you know, when stars explode, they eject really high velocity winds Mm -hmm. and those winds can tear through surrounding space and trigger star formation nearby. So supernova are cool because, you know, they shape the cosmos around them in more ways than one. And so um, that's one answer. The other answer is sort of on a more technical level, I get to use supernova to help me understand the evolution of the universe. And so when I say that, I mean that these supernova are basically distance indicators um and by analyzing you know how fast how far away they are and how bright they are i can learn something about the rate of the expansion of the universe and so these supernova help um, help me understand the composition of the universe and the evolution of the universe which is sort of intrinsic to um, the rate of the expansion of the universe
2: that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Like figuring out how, how fast is expanding and, and, you know, directionally, like what, what are, are some of the things that you've been able to discover through your research?
1: I wish I'd been able to discover more. Um, I think, you know, the first thing I had, I discovered was how to write code in Python. Like I did not know how to do that until I got to grad school and from writing sort of these codes and and analyzing my data, I found a uh, supernova. Um, so that was really cool as a star that nobody had ever observed before uh explode. So, you know, that was really that was probably my like shining, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> shining moment in grad school.
2: And like how how big is this field? Like how many people around the world are are studying supernovas um and, and actually making these these sorts of discoveries?
1: That's a good question. And I should know this answer. I think it's like, I would say probably somewhere in the ballpark of a couple hundred, a hundred. Oh, wow. It's big, but not big. It's, I don't know how many astronomers are there. It's like actually quite large part of the astronomy community, but in, in total, it's really not that many people. So
2: I guess that brings up a, a question that I have is, you know, the path to get to this point as an astrophysicist, right? Like, I think there's tons of people who, you know, have fancy telescopes in their backyard and they, they take it out into like a rural setting and, and check out the stars. But, you know, what is the path that you take from that general interest to actually being qualified the way that you are?
1: Great question. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do astronomy since I was in elementary school. Um, and I knew I wanted to do it. The passion was there, but maybe the skill wasn't, wasn't there. I didn't think it was there. Um, you know, I, I struggled a lot with physics and math, um, as a kid until I really found mentors who helped me, um, develop my skills. And so, that mentorship to me, especially in high school, meant everything. Um, so I had an astrophysics class in 11th grade, and I had a teacher who really communicated science in a way that was exciting, was accessible, made the students want to get involved, even if they didn't fully understand the concepts, and that was everything to me. So I was able to work with him my senior year of high school to do basically readings on supernova and dark energy and ended up going to college to study physics and astronomy. And again, in college, I just, I had an incredible mentor who was very patient with me and helped me sort of, you know, learn what it meant to be a scientist. And with that mentorship, you know, I was able to start to find my footing in the field and I'm still completely still finding it. Um, But, you know, it was a long journey and I think the number one thing that helped me get through it was mentorship.
0: And what are like the credentials that you need to get to where you are right now? Do you need to major in a specific field in college? And do you need to go to a specific college?
1: I think it's helpful to major in a STEM discipline Um, but it doesn't have to be physics or astronomy. There's someone in our program who was an engineering, I don't know what type of engineering, but some sort of engineering major in college. Um, but that said, like, if you want to major in English and think astronomy is really cool and maybe you want to get an advanced degree in it, I don't think that should hinder you. I think doing research in undergrad helps more than anything, more than your degree or your GPA.
0: To you even be in any sort of occupation in astrophysics, whether it's a technician, whether it's a PhD candidate? Do you have to go to college?
1: No, absolutely not. There are people who work at observatories who you I don't think you need to hold a college degree to do. There are, there are so many parts of astrophysics that are not limited to the science. Um, so like there are artists who do... You know, beautiful works for planetariums and museums um, that are science related, um, but I could never do right. And there's you know, tour guides and um, science communicators and teachers. So there's like a wide swath of people I think that um, all have some sort of intersection with astrophysics.
2: And and for your particular route, like where where do you take it from here? Is it publishing additional research? Is it um, like expanding the the field of the research itself. like what are what are some of your goals moving on from from this point?
1: If I were staying in academia, those would absolutely be my goals. Um, but I plan to leave after I get my PhD. So um, you know I, I plan to publish a couple more papers and then graduate, hopefully next August. Um, fingers crossed. And then beyond that, I plan to get into the space industry uh, from sort of the private sector standpoint, um, industry standpoint, rather than academia, whether that's training to be an astronaut, whether that's, you know, developing the next SpaceX, I don't know, but but some sort of um, other sort of intersection, like we just talked about with astrophysics.
2: Do you want to go to space?
1: Yeah. i do
2: is it scary it it feels to me like it would be be scary
1: um so i just applied on a mission that i i didn't get but i applied in february and like as i was applying and right afterwards i was like oh this is going to be great i'm so excited i keep thinking about seeing the earth from space and i got really emotional and then uh spacex's uh i forget which rocket um like had an explosion on the landing deck. And I was like, I thought this through, like, do I really want to actually put myself through this? Um, and you know, there was a little bit of moment of fear, but you know, we're in, we're at the time now in the space industry where, um, private space flight is really starting to emerge in a real way. So I think it's really like, it's an exciting time. And hopefully if they're sending, you know, Joe Schmoes like me to space, then it'll be safe. Um, but I mean, you know, it's obviously maybe it won't happen in the next five years. Maybe it'll be another 15 years. I don't know, but I'm more excited than scared.
2: And I mean, that brings up an interesting point. Like, you know, when I think about astronauts, I think about this idea of exploring the final frontier, right? It's, it's about discovery, about seeing things from a perspective. Nobody's really seen it before it sounds like you've done that in your research too, you know, finding this unexplored territory or unexplained phenomena. Um, do you think that exploration or does a desire to explore is kind of the common factor of people getting into this field or what, what draws um, the, the I guess, common uh, person to this?
1: I, I love that point. And I think exploration is a huge part of it. Um, you'll find if you ever talk to like a room of astronomers or astrophysicists or astronauts, whatever. Um, and you ask them, you know, do you like or love space? And everybody will raise their hand. And then you ask them, do you like to go mountain climbing? And like 90% of them will raise their hand. There's this like common sense of exploration and pushing yourself and um, you know, curiosity. And I also think, you know, when I I love to do both of those things. And when I am either stargazing or I'm out in the middle of Big Bend, looking at a you know mountain, I feel the same sense of like overwhelming awe and perspective. Um, and I think that a lot of astronomers feel that same way about space.
0: And do you know, like, just either anecdotally or by the numbers, do you know where t- people typically go in academia versus industry?
1: Most people enter grad school wanting to go into academia. Um, The attrition rate, not to get through grad school, but to remain in academia afterwards, I think is quite, um, the attrition rate is high or higher. Um, I mean, the issue is there's a bottleneck of number of positions uh, across the country and across the world in um, universities for astronomy. And so, you know, just by virtue of the fact that there are very few positions means that most people can't get a job, uh, even if they wanted to, that said, I also think that there's dialogue happening, especially right now about the culture of academia and how toxic it is and how unsupportive it is. Um, and so there are a lot of people who leave because it's not a safe environment. It's not, uh, you know, a good environment, um, many people go to data science. Some people go to finance. Um, those are, I think the typically the two biggest, uh, routes that people take.
0: And when you, when you mean it's not safe, um, what what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, academia as a institution is racist and is sexist and as a culture is not supportive towards any marginalized groups. Um, and then when you add intersections of marginalization, people get pushed to the sides or pushed out. It's it's hard because I think people really want to change um, the institution because, you know, we love what we do, but it's very difficult when it's there. It, it's just very hard to change an institution like that, that, um, you know, is built upon sort of these racist, imperialist, colonialist foundations
2: combating that, you know, and and combating the historical pitfalls and uh, I guess obstacles within higher education and academia, like what does it mean for you to be trailblazing as a woman in this incredibly like technical field?
1: I, it's, it's hard. Um, I feel very lucky. I, not just like, you know, I love what I do and I, I love astronomy. And so I'm lucky to be able to study it because I am. But I'm lucky because many people get pushed out who should be here studying it and are unable to. Um, And so that's, you know, equally frustrating and scary. And my goal is to change reality of whether it's STEM or astronomy or academia and make it better and change it for future generations, especially, you know, generations of young women and, and women of color. So, you know, it's very meaningful work, I think, um, but it's it's incredibly frustrating at times.
0: And, and what advice would you give somebody who is a woman or a woman of color or a person of color who wants to pursue this field in academia where there is sexism and racism? I mean, what advice would you give them to help them navigate that so they don't get pushed out?
1: Um, I think what I typically try to say is, don't let anybody tell you that you're not good enough to do something because only you can get to decide whether you want to do something and nobody else should dictate that for you and nobody can dictate that for you. I wish I, someone had told me that when I was, you know, a young girl.
0: I honestly had no idea that it was that poor of an environment in academia.
1: I think people don't talk about it, uh, or at least pe- non-academics don't talk about Academics talk about it a lot. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I say that people forget is academia doesn't have an HR department. Like there's no person I can go to that, you know, would help me resolve a conflict, for example. And basically there's people who have tenure are untouchable, right? It's You can't basically reprimand them in any meaningful way. So it's a system that's founded on these power hierarchies and um, exploiting basically the voices and the labor of, of young people in the field.
2: It kind of brings up um, something you were talking about earlier where, you know, until you were going through grad school, you didn't really know what, what happened in the field. I'm curious, like, What are some of those misconceptions that you see outsiders or or people just breaking the industry have um, compared to to the actual realities of of that profession?
1: I don't think anybody knows how much programming is in astronomy. Like people and I thought you just look through a telescope and I don't know. I somehow thought the image that you saw would get like in a paper somehow. I didn't really think too hard about how that happened, Um, but you know, that is completely false. Many astronomers have never looked through a telescope before, which really? is shocking. Wait, yeah.
2: How does Louis back that up? How does that work?
1: I honestly don't know. Like there are people who got into astronomy because they like instrumentation and um I don't know, like didn't don't love looking at the stars, for example, or there are people who are theoretical physicists who just really like the problems that you know the universe has in astronomy. So there's a, you know, a lot of different types of people and some of them, you know, when you go observing, you're not looking through a telescope. You're hooking your computer up to the telescope, well to the data data collector at the end of the telescope um and then you're sitting in a control room looking at your computer. Um, So we don't get to see, you know, really pretty images unless, you know, that's explicitly what we're doing. Um, But yeah, I think that's a huge misconception is like, you get to look at the sky and be happy all the time, basically. And that's like, sadly, not the case.
2: Learning how to to code, you know, you mentioned Python being um, one of the major languages you work with, like, was that something you had to learn on your own? Are there courses? Was there training formally as part of your program? Um, like, how, how do you get that computer science or programming knowledge?
1: I wish there was training as part of my program. Um, it was all like figure it out, basically. Um, so I have, beca- I like to tell people I'm like a professional Googler. Like, I can't do a lot of things, but I, I can Google really well. Um, and that, you know, I basically have taught myself very mediocre python but i you know i use it uh to analyze data and um you know that's that's all you need so astronomers as a as a whole are pretty terrible coders but it's because we're not formally trained like we never take classes in it so you know wow my yeah
0: yeah and you mentioned that you worked on observation and also theory where you were simulating what are the other areas that um someone could be a part of in the field? Um,
1: so the other, like the other major area in terms of research is instrumentation. Um, there's a ton of work done on instrumentation that I, I don't know anything about engineering. There's no way I could do instrumentation. Um, and then, you know, I, I I'm, can totally talk about alternative paths, like being a telescope operator um, you know, there are people who basically live on the mountain full time and um, either operate telescopes or do sort of technical stuff on the telescopes, um, engineering and otherwise.
0: And then you get
1: your choice of
0: what you want to go into based off of your preference?
1: Like for observation and theory, it really is. You come to grad school and you choose a program in large part based on the research that the, that, that particular department is doing. And so Berkeley is pretty evenly split between observational and theory, uh, which for me was great because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but some people know they want to do theory. And so they go to, you know, other programs or observation on the other hand,
2: how do you fuck up as an astronomer? Like I'm imagining like the telescope or something, or like, I I have I'm just curious like what are the pitfalls you've seen people like
1: yeah I I have heard stories of people crashing telescopes and these telescopes are massive like they're let's see the most recent one I used was like 96 inches or something and that's the that's the diameter of the mirror and then think about like how it's like the size of a house basically Um, and what happens is the telescope lives in a dome and you have to turn the dome and open the dome for the telescope to see out. But sometimes people crash the telescope into the dome. (laughs) Can't even think about it because I freak out. Um, also like falling asleep on the job is very bad. Like if you're observing and you fall asleep, not good potential telescope crash coming. Um, the other, the other thing on the computation side is I saw this story on Twitter. I don't know if they were astronomer, or some other scientist, but, um, they re- wrote a code to basically like get information from sub database website on a website. And, uh, he, he fucked up his code to where it pinged the website, like a hundred times a second or something crazy. And he triggered a DOD, like, investigation because they thought it was a cyber attack.
0: Oops. (laughs) What is one mystery of the universe that you're just... You want to know the answer to or that you're just, like, super entranced about?
1: Just one. Um, Okay. (laughs) Just got really excited. Um, So I said that I study the rate of the expansion of the universe. Well the thing that hooked me about astronomy in terms of doing research on it, the number one fact is that we only know 5% of all matter in the universe and everything else, 95% of the universe is in the invisible form of dark matter, dark energy. And we just have literally no idea what they are. And so That, to me, as, you know, someone who's curious and likes exploring, 95% of all things in the universe is unknown is, like, the most exciting thing to me.
2: Yeah. That's that's a crazy amount because, like, I always hear those stats, something like 70% of the ocean or something we've we've never explored. And, like, that just – it kind of freaks me out, to be honest, just, like, how much is out there.
1: Yeah. The first time – Honest, it's funny you asked me if I was scared or like if I get scared thinking about it because the first time somebody asked me that, I was in college and I had never once been like, "Oh, that could be scary." Like it hadn't even occurred to me. And so they asked me and I was like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I heard you, right? What do you mean?" Um, and I I guess like the unknown is scary to people. Um, but to me it's like it puts everything in perspective and so that to me is incredibly calming. Yeah.
2: One we do have one question we we've, we've asked everyone who's been on the show which um is just kind of working with the topic of the show being curious about professions that we don't know much about. Are there jobs or professions out there that you're curious about learning more?
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um neurosurgery fascinating to me. Can't I don't know how people do it. Um, Anything to do with psychology is also fascinating to me. I feel like psychologists are heroes and I I don't know how they are so smart. Yeah, those are the two that popped to mind.
2: Serafina, thank you so much for joining us on What the Fuck Do You Do? It was an absolute pleasure getting to learn more about astronomy and and astrophysics. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful.
2: Thanks again for joining us on What the Fuck Do You Do with Travis Fox and Shrey Panda. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to subscribe to us so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're interested in a job that you're curious about being featured on the show, check the link in the description and let us know. If you liked this episode, we hope you subscribe to us on YouTube and Spotify and share the show with your friends. We really appreciate your support.